Thanks for joining us at the Business Growth Cafe, where each week we select from a menu of topics for a focused discussion with an industry expert to provide insights that can impact your business's growth with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Thank you for stopping by the Business Growth Cafe. Today, I am Angelo Ponzi, your host. I remember there was a time when I used the phrase fractional CMO or fractional chief marketing officer. Prospective clients or frankly anybody I talk to to say, what the heck is that? I, I don't understand what fractional means. Why don't you explain that? Well, over time, which has been about seven years now since I launched this consulting firm, man, I, I can't believe seven years have gone by. Time flies when you're having fun. That's all I can say. In fact, not only am I a fractional CMO, I now work with fractional sales officers, fractional chief revenue officers, fractional HR, fractional CFOs, fractional COOs, and fractional CEOs. So no longer is it a not a common word or a common phrase. It's pretty prevalent in the business world, especially among companies that are maybe struggling or looking to pivot or they need someone to take on a role they're just not quite ready for a senior person or in the case of maybe a ceo or a coo they've got somebody who left or they just are growing fast enough they need to start filling those senior roles but frankly are not quite ready for a full-time person yet but today on my show i have andy peters he is the founder and managing partner at aiken business brokerage now andy understands interim and fractional work he's been doing it frankly, for quite a while and has had the opportunity to work in a variety of industries with a variety of different clients. So today we're going to kind of explore that with Andy. We're going to get some insights on how he approaches these kinds of businesses and helping companies turn around, maybe scale, maybe pivot. Maybe they're thinking about selling, but they're not quite ready yet. So how can he help them or how does he help them in, in really getting their, their profit line up? Or maybe they want to acquire a company so andy's got a great perspective that you're really going to get to learn from today it's going to be very educational it's going to be fun and we're going to have a lot of great content for you to listen to so don't go away but i'm going to tell you first about working with a fractional cmo a chief marketing officer has both the power and the responsibility to drive long-term strategic growth that can ultimately lead to organizational prosperity and that growth starts with a vision what is your firm's definition of success? Growth? How will you strategically work towards expansion, for example? Equally important, what is your customer's perception of your firm? And how well do you meet a need or deliver value? When you begin to align your vision with that of your customer, you build a stronger, lasting relationship with them. You see the whole picture realizing the lifetime value of that customer, as well as the lifetime value you provide. A CMO must look at success with a strategic mindset, looking beyond the transactional. The CMO must understand the customer journey, utilizing the competitive intelligence, embracing and leveraging your unique market insights. If your business is ready for growth and you need a CMO, but you're not quite ready for a full-time person yet, I'd welcome the opportunity to explore the benefits of using a fractional CMO. Visit theponzagroup.com to learn more. As I said, I have Andy Peters. He is the founder and managing partner at Aiken Business Brokerage, here to talk to you about interim, fractional, growing businesses, pivoting businesses, turning businesses around, and all sorts of other activities that he undertakes. There's going to be an opportunity. So get out your notebook, take some notes, 
You're going to learn a lot today. Andy, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be with you, Angela. Yeah, this uh, I'm excited about having you on. I mean, I've seen and we've been talking and you've been uh, doing some case studies and things like that in some of the groups that we belong to. And I found them really fascinating. So we're going to get into explore some of that as we go along. But just put things in context. Why don't you tell the audience about you and your business? Well, thank you very much. Um, so I'm a consultant. I advise uh, business owners uh, on improving the performance of their company. My tagline is uh, the best exit is a better business. And I help business owners improve uh, the performance of their company. I'm often introduced to owners that think they want to sell. And then um, I spend some time working with them. And if I, when we're successful, their businesses are easier to run. They're making more money. They're living more and working less. And uh, they decide to keep their businesses because the annuity value of that is better than a sale with a bunch of taxes attached to it. Okay. Now, in, in looking at your um, website and things like that, you've, you've kind of got two sides to your business. One is, is more about operational performance, and the other one is this mergers and acquisitions, if you will. So why don't you talk about each side of those and, and then also how they kind of work in tandem together? Okay. Um, operational performance, there's a lot of levers that I find, uh, particularly smaller companies under $20 million that um, management owners aren't effectively pulling to improve the performance of their company. Um, they often have come out of an owner is a, a scientist or an engineer or a machinist or a sales guy or a finance guy. And, and they come from a certain discipline where they're an expert. But as a company grows, the company that created grows, it ends up being a multifunctional company with lots of different people in it. And they may not be an expert at managing all of those different functions and making them work well together. And that's where I've come in. I, my background involves operations and sales and supply chain and IT. And so I've been a functional senior leader in organizations and had to run those things and make them improve often in difficult situations. So when I come into a business that's doing pretty well, the owner's probably making a good living and, you know, but they've got some intractable problems that they've been trying to solve for a long time. Um, I help them solve those problems and suddenly the business is more enjoyable, working better, people are happier and growing. And, and now the company's on a growth path and making more money, which makes it more valuable to the current owner and to a prospective owner. Okay. So that's kind of the segue into the M&A side of things. Um, I, spend a, I work with private equity. I've dropped in as a CEO of private equity companies, private equity owned companies. And I do a lot. I spend a lot of time working with private equity groups to evaluate business opportunities. Um, so when I get an information memorandum, like I spent this morning working on and last night working on for an investment opportunity. A lot of times the investment banker or the business broker has taken at face value, the unsubstantiated assertions of the owner, sometimes made up stuff on their own. And when I go through an information memorandum, I, I find that there's these disconnects, unsubstantiated assertions that need to be evaluated 
And I help private equity groups um, understand what it is they're getting into. And because I'm not only a finance guy, but I'm mostly an operator that knows how to count, I can help those, those companies uh, evaluate the quality of the information they're looking at. And then also, you know, ask important, relevant questions during the pre-due diligence LOI letter of intent phase, but also in the due diligence phase, which is what I'm preparing to do for uh, a company that's uh, about $50 million in revenue currently growing pretty fast, but their profitability isn't that great. And so the investment firm has asked me to go in and evaluate, you know, what can we do with this? Is this a good investment? And are there assertions about the opportunities in the business valid? So I'm evaluating on the buy side, but I also help business owners on the sell side. Mm -hmm. right? And I take all of that experience and knowledge that I have of what a guy like me is going to do to chew up and spit out an unsubstantiated investment memorandum to keep my clients from being in the situation I often find other people's clients in. You, so, it's almost like you're a forensic guy going in and really looking at the numbers and really trying to understand the story that's being told, whether it's a fictional story or a factual story. Yeah. Well, you know, a, an owner, as they described on the operations side, they're, they're an expert at certain things and they develop certain belief systems about their business. Right. And then they tell somebody that doesn't understand their business, an investment banker or a business broker about their business. And most of those guys, they're finance people or they're not operators. So they can't really look at what the, the financials say and assess the operations of the business and see the disconnect between what the owner is telling them. But that, that stuff's all going to come out. So it, it's, it's, it's more how do the financial numbers connect with the actual operations of the business? Because an owner may assert certain things about their business that don't show up in the financial, right? Mm -hmm. They said, my business is awesome. We're doing great. But they're only making low single digit net income, right? Oh, if we really ever did any marketing, you know, our company would really be super valuable. It's like, well, if you figure out how to do marketing, that's your business, right, Angelo? <laughs> that's right. right? <laughs> if you figure out how to do the marketing, then your company will, will be really valuable. If you're depending on somebody else to pay you for your business. And then make that investment to realize what you haven't proven, which ends up being an unsubstantiated assertion about your business. Well, that's not a great place to be from the standpoint of, you know, getting somebody to pay you a lot of money for your business, which is what you want. We, um, uh, a mutual friend of ours that I work closely with, we're, we're, we're working on a new business together and, um, literally it's been a week. And so, um, they signed the contract and they said, oh, by the way, we're, we're having a round table with 12 of our key buyers, you know, like big companies, global companies, and we want you to run it. I was like, holy moly, you know, I want to say holy crap, but I guess I just did. And so in the meeting, there were three key things that came out where they were debating with the, with the 
company, but one of them was marketing. And their whole point was nobody knows who you are. So we're trying to convince our su suppliers to join your organization and they don't understand who you are, what your value prop is, why they should pay. And, and to your point, it, you know, it really is a combination. It's, there's so many different factors that impact revenue, impact profitability, impact growth, new markets, whatever it happens to be. Yet marketing in many times, not that I'm talking a lot about marketing, is oh, just seen as an expense oh. and not an investment, right? Oh. I'll give you one from yesterday. I was at a new client yesterday. They're a contracting organization. They got a division that's kind of been very stable, but a small percentage of their business. And, you know, I asked them, I says, okay, tell me three, three things that uh, a customer would say about your business, right? Positive things and tell me three negative things, right? And he says, well, you know, positive. Well, you know, we're, we're on time, we, we produce, we, we do the project on time. Okay, what's the second one? It's like, well, we do it right the first time. Okay, what's the third one? Yeah, exactly. I, 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 don't, I don't know. It's like, well, you know, price, quality, service, pick two, right? You just gave me quality and service. And, and now you're telling me that, you know, you're kind of in a low margin business, right? But you're this high value company. But the other thing I said is like, you need to have like 10 things that are part of your value proposition. Mm -hmm. Like our guys are articulate. We have good relationships with our client. They identify opportunities when they go into client plants to fix things because they're so experienced. You know, but what's your value proposition? What are you, what are you offering these customers that um, are going to make, make them feel like they you are a preferred vendor to them because two things isn't enough. Yeah, exactly. I go through a process and I, it, that I use it for how to differentiate. And those are very similar questions. What's valuable that you offer? What's rare, meaning that you have it, it's unique to you. But on the third factor is how easy is it to imitate? And I, I always get amazed and we're talking about you know, business owners that, you know, maybe they're tech people. And next thing you know, they're dealing with finance and marketing and manufacturing, and they just don't understand. And I would say, invariably, somebody says in their points of differentiation, I have great people. And, and my point to them is, well, first of all, that's fantastic. They're valuable, but are they rare? And can I just go steal them from you? And therefore, it's easy to imitate. And, and how do you know your people are better than my people? And so it's, I always like to push back and as you kind of dig into these, to your point, you can't, you can't just differentiate and find value on one or two points. There has to be multiple and they have to tell a story. Yeah. And, 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 and that's, that's our intern, that's, that's our sense of ourselves, which needs to be real. And oftentimes I find companies like I had a company many years ago, I was trying to sell. It's like, well, our people picking up on your thing, our people really, you know, help the client know the products. And, and so this is a beauty products company, right? A uh, retailer. And so I took some of my wife's beauty products. And I was like, hey, you know, I'm trying to get a gift for my wife. I walked into four of their stores. And at one store, the people just walked away from me. Like, well, no, we don't know. <laughs> so at two stores, people said, well, have you tried the internet? 
go, go look up those products on the internet. It's like, oh my gosh. And at one store, one person went to the bank, found a similar product, and was able to tell me that it was petroleum-based instead of a natural product-based. So one out of four people was really the person that the owners were expecting them to be, right? And, and, and I should have, I, I didn't, but I should have walked away from that deal right there, right? Because I, it was not, they, their company was not what they thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, there's it, it, part of the kind of the assessments that, that we do is trying to understand our people in alignment. So case in point, we just did this assessment and six people took the assessment. And they had a nice, decent aggregate. But when I broke it down by individuals, there was such disparity in their answers. And, and to me, that's where the details came. And, you know, sitting with the CEO saying, well, you think you're a four, you know, and, and understanding your marketplace. And your people think you're a one and a two. So yeah. things aren't jiving, right? And, and so the other thing I, I like to ask is, is kind of very similar questions, I think, with you were saying. I said, you're in an elevator you discover there's a prospect in the elevator and you have 30 seconds to describe your company. Six people, six different answers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Push the alarm button, stop the elevator because I need 30 minutes instead of 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Hey, I like that. I like that. <laughs> you know, be, before we get into some of your case studies, um, so you're growing your business. So as you grow your business, what keeps you up at night? Growing my business. <laughs> it, it is a, I have such depth of experience in so many different areas. It's, it's hard for me to find and, and comprehend people that would give uh, customers, uh, clients for whom, you know, my work is, makes the difference in some cases between whether their businesses succeed or fail the the level of quality and the information and the insight and the instant impact ideas that they need in order to change their trajectory of their business in short term. And I, when I was visiting with uh, this new client yesterday, first couple hours, they were talking kind of around things and sharing different ideas and it's kind of disjointed and a little disconnected and, and, by the time I got to the early of the third hour, I'm like, okay, I know enough right now. There's five things I can do that are going to have a big impact on your business and finding people that, that have that level of experience that aren't already operating as independent, you know, consultants and mm-hmm. entrepreneurs. That's a hard thing to do. Right. And, and it, it's hard to, I can walk in, I've walked into factory floors and spent an hour on the floor, a couple hours on the floor and seen a million dollars worth of improvement opportunity, you know, just in the blink of the eye. And, and it's hard, that's a hard thing to have uh, other people, junior people be able to do. Yeah. Well, you know, that's a struggle for me. Yeah. Well, that, that's the thing too. A lot of times you get into, 
uh, you know, for me, and I'll use me as an example, you go in and you start talking marketing and they want to talk about websites and, you know, digital campaigns. And I said, well, we need, there's so many other things we need to understand. And so it's back to that experience. I, I had a client last year, technology company, the people running it were engineers, the same kind of thing. They've been around for 16 years, in my opinion. They, you know, shouldn't, they were way uh, undervalued and and where the revenues were at just because there was an engineer running it in that mindset. And I think a lot of times, and maybe this is for you is, and I think this is where you were going, is the people that we deal with that just don't understand and, and sometimes don't listen that, you know, the value that, that someone like yourself brings because you've done it before. And that's why we're there as consultants, because we've done it versus yeah. That, sorry to Let's, break in on you. I, I think, so what I've found over the years is I'm, I'm never the first consultant that a company has ever hired to address their problem. And there's been a kind of a stream of consultants that have come in ahead of me and they've all told them the what, right? They've been able to say, well, here's what you should do. But they're consultants. They're not operators, right? They can't tell these companies how to do it. And that's the only thing that matters. If the company knew how to do it, by the time that they got the, the third consultants in the sequence, they would have done it already, right? What they need is the know-how, right? To help their senior managers and their middle managers execute, right? How to, how to look at this, a problem and see it differently and know that you can drive through, start driving that problem forward and, you know, get to a solution. And, and so much, there's too much what in the world and not enough how. Mm -hmm. And that's why a lot of companies stay where they're at. And then the corollary to that is I often sometimes drop in a, as a manager in a business. And what I tell the people that are working for me is I'm not interested in why not. I'm only interested in how, right? But a lot of managers who have been around for a really long time, this is the way we've always done it. It's always a why not answer. And, and oftentimes, and, and this could be uncomfortable for people, I'm finding people on the front line that know how, and I'm, I'm accessing that brain power because the reality is the majority of the gray matter in any company is on the front lines. And if you tap into that and you get them motivated and go in the right direction, you can do anything. There are no reasons, there are no more why nots when you're tapping into all of the people in your organization. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, 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 and you're absolutely right. And, and, and that is the, probably the biggest challenge a lot of times is this is the way we've done it. If this isn't working, we've already had three consultants in here. And, and, you know, that's not the answer. And it, and again, this client that our mutual friend and I are working on the same kind of thing, 18 months later, and now we're in being disruptors because we're telling them, quit looking at the past, quit talking about why it didn't happen. Let's figure out a way to make it happen. And we're, and we're, you know, moving them in that direction. And, and, and in a very short period of time, like I said, one week, the, the conversations have been really interesting. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, we're already we're already ruffling feathers, so that's okay. Yeah, and 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 the, the feathers you're ruffling 
are that people have created a citadel inside their function in the company. It's kind of an impenetrable black box that nobody else in the organization really knows what's going on in there. And those people, they end up controlling the way that the company can function, often in negative ways, because they're trying to optimize their, their performance within their function and elevate themselves in their position instead of getting the whole company to work well together. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those people have to do extra work that they're not willing to do unless you force them into doing it. And, and I guess that's one of the areas where me being an operator in so many different functions in an organization, I can tear down that guy's citadel, right? And, and force them in either into being part of the team or moving them on without putting the company at risk. Right. And, and I would say that at least 60 to 70% of the companies that I go into, they've got that guy or gal in that, in that position and it's impeding the progress. Yeah. Well, I, I find a lot of times that within organizations and, and this is to kind of reinforce what you're saying is they don't see themselves as a, as a piece of the puzzle. They see themselves as just a, a puzzle and, and they don't understand that. It, and, and I'll go back to a client from a couple of years ago that I said to the, to the team, if sales and marketing is successful, we impact every department in this organization. Why? Big sale comes in. Now we have to worry about, do we have the inventory? Do we have the capabilities to manufacture? Do we have the people to go out and install it? And I, I said, you need to think this way not just about your specific discipline. And and they talk about it all the time, right? I mean, it's like, there's like these truisms out there, right? Well, sales and operations are always bump, bumping heads, right? Operations and engineering are always bumping heads. Finance and, and purchasing are always bumping heads, right? And, and there's just all of this stuff that happens in these companies and it doesn't need to be that way, but it takes executive leadership mm-hmm. that can look at the whole, holistically evaluate the company, and tell people when you got to make a sacrifice for the benefit of the team. That's what has to happen, right? And, and then when you get to that point where you break down the citadels and you force people to take on the work that they should be doing instead of you know, pushing back all the time. If they, if they would just devote the effort that they've spent pushing back on the people that actually need them to help them and get them to invest in helping and serving those people, it's the same amount of energy. It's just positive energy instead of negative. Yeah, I like that. I like that. You know, one of the things I, I saw in in prepping for this, I mean, you you have obviously been a business owner. You've You've been in companies as a, CEO, COO, you know, advisors and all managing partners, all sorts of different structures, general managers. What do you find that is probably the area you focus on the most? And and also, you know, I look at you and some of the conversations we've had more as like an interim, like the case study we're going to talk about, interim CEO versus a fractional CEO. And and so for the audience. Why don't you take a second and kind of explain those different roles for you? Um, 
Okay, there's, uh, unpack that a little bit. You, you asked about where do I, I, I focus? Mm-hmm. And I'm a, I, I often work with manufacturers, distributors, and kind of B2B service firms and, and companies like that have like where the employees are the source of value. And so one of the areas that I really have to focus on is the cost of goods sold section of the income statement, right? Because that's like between 60 and 75% of your costs are there. Mm-hmm. And so if you're looking for someplace where you can find opportunity, it's there, right? There's also a bunch of inefficiencies in sales and overhead, but I tend to start with cost of goods sold. The other place I start is the balance sheet. There is often a lot of poorly deployed resources, too much inventory, too much AR, uh, clearly, you know, uh, liabilities, um, you know, cash payable, these base sales outstanding. So I look at the metrics of, of the balance sheet because anything that any asset that I don't have to replace becomes cash. And cash is what I need to affect the changes that need to be made in an organization. So if I can get cash off the asset section of the balance sheet and into the bank, then I can start making investments. So that's one of the first places I look, right? Is actually at the financials. And, and that tells me a lot about what's going on in the operations. And so that points me in the direction of where to go attack them. So um, as you, as far as my roles, I have owned companies. Um, I have dropped in and run companies for, for others. Uh, one case, there was a family that um, the patriarch and matriarch passed on, the, became part of the estate, and they got a valuation, said the company was worth $500,000 based on a company that had lost on average $50,000 for the last three years. So I know that was a lie. You know, that was one of those situations where the valuation guy kind of came up with a number that the owners wanted to hear based on seven and a half per, seven and a half percent compounded growth into the future discounted to the present. Well, losing <laughs> money for three years, where's the seven and a half percent compounded growth coming from? Right? That was just silly. Um, but I did drop in and I, I ran that company as uh, the part-time CEO. I ran it within four months. I turned the company from $50,000 loss, converted a bunch of inventory, streamlined the operations, converted inventory into cash, streamlined the operations. Within a few months, I realized that there was an opportunity to sell the company to a strategic buyer. Right. I built the case, made the made a uh, information memorandum that was telling a story that was substantiated by the facts. And within 10 months of taking over that company, it sold it for $1.9 million. And the owners got to keep the $375,000 in cash that I generated on the balance sheet. And I did, I did that part time. Right? I was doing other things besides. Right? But that's you, because I work, I work with the people that are there in order to affect these changes. Now, when I'm working with 
a business owner to help them improve their business, it's the same thing. I'm a pretty busy guy. I got several irons in the fire. It does not help me or the business owner or the business owner's people if I go in and I make myself indispensable to that company. Mm-hmm. I go in and I teach them how. I figure out the what. I teach them how. I give that information to people at the lowest level possible in the organization because that's the cost-effective thing to do. Right? Get lower level people doing the, as much as they possibly can. That allows you to pay those people more because they're creating more value for you. And I'm creating institutionalized business processes that survive me and allow the owner to work less and live more. Because people that work for him are making the decisions that they've been taught to make and empowered to make, and they make good decisions. That makes them feel more invested in the company. And this is one of the things I say, everybody that works for a company, no matter what level they're at, at the end of the day today, wants to go home to whoever they're going home to, whoever they love, and feel like they made a difference. Like they're, they, they, they can feel proud today because they contributed value. Mm-hmm. And, and I gotta say, most of the companies that, that I go into, most companies, that is not true. But when I'm done with most of the companies that I go into, I believe it is true. Do you find that you're in, in a lot of these companies, you're, you're changing the, sounds like you're changing the culture as well. Yeah. You know, if, if, if you're the entrepreneur owner and you're a micromanager and everybody has to come to you for a decision and feels, and they feel disempowered or like there's favored people that you're responding to and there's other people that you don't, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's bad because you've got, you've got people that aren't working to their full potential and don't feel like trying. Right? Yeah. So that's got to change. And, and if it does change, it's going to change the culture. And, and it's not to say that the people that work underneath these micromanaging owners don't appreciate them, don't like them, right? Oftentimes they do. And the owner feels a close attachment to his people. He feels responsible for them, right? I, I think that's mostly true about the owners and the people that work with them. But that's not the same thing as having an empowered workforce that feels proud that they can come in and and they want to show up every day to make a difference and go home at the end of the day of the people that they love, knowing that they did, no matter what level of the organization they're at. I agree with that. I mean, that's I, I kind of alluded to that earlier, that knowing your role, knowing how you impact everybody else, knowing that, you know, you're just not sitting in the accounting office, you know, punching numbers that you're having an impact on the business. One of my clients, when they hired me said, here, it, it, here's the deal. Don't do it. Teach my people how to do it because eventually you'll be gone. And when we take the training wheels off, it was his exact quote, you know, I don't need the bike to fall down. And, and for that was a major role. It was to educate the people and elevate and make sure that they understood 
you know, that they weren't working in silos and how they were working together, but empowering to your point, because there was a little bit of when the CEO walked in the door, everybody went, what do you need? What do you need? What do you need? Whatever he said, just disrupted everything. So that was part of changing that culture to make sure that, yes, what he needs is important. But what you were doing is also important because why you got 10 people waiting for it or whatever it happens to be. Um, as I said earlier on, I mean, you, you, you tell this one case story about a, a company that you've been working with, uh, and I'll call it industrial products. But why don't, you, uh, why don't you tell that case study? I, I didn't mention the name. I don't know if, if you want to feel comfortable mentioning name, but feel free to do that. But let's tell a real positive story. And that's been a very positive story that I heard you tell. And I think there's so many different pieces that, from an educational standpoint that the listeners can, can glean from that conversation. Yeah. Um, so it's, there's, lot, there's so many of the themes that we talked about in, in this company. It was that... Uh, a niche industrial conveyor manufacturing company. And when I say conveyors, most people think of the flat conveyors that Amazon boxes or FedEx or UPS and those, those large footprint factories where you're trying to move boxes uh, on a horizontal plane from place to place. So this company had a customized belting technology that they would press their own rubber belts. And their specialty was to move those belts, um, move bulk materials, granular materials like sand or cement or um, grains or uh, anything that comes in, in, in a bulk material and, and move that product at very high incline, anywhere from 30 degree inclines the 90 degree incline, right? And uh, the, the applications are wide ranging from uh, the frac sand industry and, and fracking to steel mills, uh, to um, processing plants, uh, cat litter, just any number of things that are bulk material. Um, this company, when it was acquired by a private equity group had a 90% 80 to 90% concentration in one customer and in, in all things, the frac sand industry. And as we sit here today, you know, uh, the current administration is, you know, uh, trying to eliminate fossil fuels from our lives. I don't know how we're going to get our cars to run, but, you know, that's the way it goes. Um, but that, that industry went through a uh, capacity glut, uh, price price decline and now political machinations, right? And um, so um, basically I was brought in at the beginning of the phase where that, that key customer was lost and we had to reinvent the company into new markets. Fortunately, company been around a really long time, like 40 plus years. The, they did have this core belting technology to move particulate materials up high inclines. And there are a lot of applications for that. So, um, but, you know, most of our revenue disappeared overnight. So what we had to do, we had to cut, we had to lay off direct labor. We had to keep the key direct labor and keep the key managers and know-how, many of whom had been at this company for 20 and 30 plus years. 
Um, and so most of the overhead or a bunch of finance people that weren't really contributing any value needed to go away. And because of my functional expertise, I took on many of the, the roles um, of the company. I was basically the, the controller and the purchasing manager and running the company and turning it around, right? Mm-hmm. Hiring the people and making sure that, you know, contracts were reviewed and, and whatnot. So that was, I took over in February of 2019. Um, it takes a while, long, long sales cycle business. So we, we cut the company down. We got the company, basically I inherited a zero EBITDA company. Um, by February of 20, we were about out of business, right? But we had about $50,000 in our bank log of projects to do, and it was going to ship by the end of February. But we were selling, right? And we'd been selling, 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 selling throughout the period from February to February. By May, we had a $600,000 back. By the end of the year, we had a million dollar back. I'm now on the board. Last time I looked at the backlog. Um, so I, I, and then I went and hired a president. And, um, the last time I looked at the backlog to finish that theme, we had about $4 million in our backlog. Wow. In just a few um, years. That's great. And obviously I had to cut, but now, now it's different, right? Now we have to bring in the engineering resources to do the things that the former owners didn't do to diversify the business because they were selling a product to one basic customer. They Mm -hmm. were selling a couple of things to one customer. Now, now we have a diversified business, but we have more engineering demand, more design to do. And we need to have better production systems and more efficiency in our operations and a better quality control system and a better safety system. I I couldn't, I, I knew those things were required. Right, in order for the company to be successful, I didn't have the means to support it. I, I had to invest into those critical things, and I started with sales. Right, everybody I hired for a period of time was somebody that could positively impact sales, mm-hmm. and they might have had dual roles. Like, you're going to be kind of our, our belt, you know, you're going to work on belts and product do some product management and belts, operational stuff and belts, but you're also going to be our salesperson, right? So everybody that I hired there for a while, they needed to have some sales kind of, you know, mandate to pay for themselves. And then I I created a very enduring sales commission structure. I thought out ahead. I thought about what I wanted to accomplish as a company. And I created a sales structure, a sales commission structure that would work both during our troubled times. But then if my sales, I talked to my VP of sales up there yesterday. um, And, you know, that program that I set up for him two plus years ago now, now still works into the future because it creates alignment between his financial outcome and what he does for our company. And uh, it's just, 
gosh, it's, it's so many levers to pull in a situation like that. Um, and at everything, not, nothing is too small. Um, they're not quick fixes either. I mean, they're, you're saying it's, it's, it's over time. There's short term things well, that you can fix really quickly, but some of the impact, if you're talking at what, an eight, nine, 10 month or longer sales cycle. Yeah. Well, and, and then the other, I, I'll tell you one of the things that really made a difference uh, that we changed from the old ownership. The old ownership was very proud of what they did, right? They would, they would say, we make the best and you should buy from us. And like, no, 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 you don't know what you want. Here's the way, here, you should buy the stuff the way we make. Right? Well, they were, they, their capture rate was terrible. And what we did is we really changed things around. It's like, we, we spent a lot of time up front talking to the customers. What are you trying to accomplish? Mm -hmm. You know, why is that important to you? So we, we really, as part of the sales process, we really got to know our customers and, because we asked the right questions, we got, we got to understand what it is they really needed. And then we presented a solution that responded to what they needed. And you know what? We got paid a premium every time. Because even though our equipment is expensive, it's industrial conveying equipment. It can be you know, 75,000 to 250,000. To millions of dollars. But the reality is, in an operating plan, durability, reliability, no downtime, good part service, you know, a solution that's going to work, that's well thought out and designed. If they pay us 10% more, when you look at a 40 year, and we have we have equipment that's still operating 40 years later. When you look at the amortized cost of that, it's like insignificant for them to pay us the premium to get a product that's really going to work for them. And, and so we really got very little price pressure pushback, and we were almost never the cheapest because we were giving them something that worked. Mm -hmm. And in and, and our situation, where revenues were hard to come by, every profit dollar, instead of trying to build volume, because as you pointed out, it's a long sales cycle, instead of trying to build volume around price, which was never going to work, we had to build profit into every job because we needed that profit to survive. When you when you were expanding and you know diversifying, you said you know they had all their eggs in one basket and you're looking at diversifying into new markets. The other thing I heard you say it was kind of getting getting away from here's our product take it or leave it kind of thing versus right. we're going to make custom customize if we go into agriculture or we go into cement processing or manufacturing or pulp and paper whatever it happens to be the the needs of those different verticals potentially are going to be slightly different and so you're going to do some customization how did you prioritize which new verticals to take current products with slight customization versus having to go and create brand new products for new markets. I mean, did you, you kind of structure that out to figure out what the low hanging fruit was? So, to so one of my phrases I often throw out there is um, in most companies I work with, including this one, we're the mite on the gnat, on the bird, on the butt of the elephant in terms of our addressable <laughs> market. Uh -huh. Right. 
And so it, we, our product was so universally applicable to anything that was a bulk product, right? Any, any, any particulate matter, we didn't have to really prioritize um, across like industries. Mm -hmm. what, what we need to do and what we've talked about you helping us with is to now that we're, you know, past the point, you know, we've resurrected ourselves. We're now Phoenix and we're going in the right direction. What we're looking for is kind of how to um, figure out, are we the might or the net? Right. I think we're the might in terms of our addressable product because we keep, you know, stuff keeps coming our way. Right. Um, and it's been enough stuff and we've done a good enough job selling to, to our capture rate is high, which is why we recovered. Right. Now is the time, as we've discussed in terms of your, the nature of your work, where we're thinking about, okay, do the market segmentation analysis, figure out what are the features that are required in each of those markets. Which markets are we, you know, particularly well adaptable to, and how are we going to go out and, you know, market to and sell into those particular industries? That's where we are now. Yeah. We had, okay. and uh, we had a, enough stuff coming our way, and probably always had, but this poor salesmanship resulted in a low capture rate. We turned that around first. And now it's the time to, to really think about growing the company. So it, but when you were looking at, and I know we- oh, I'm, I'm going to mention one other thing. Sure. Um, our revenues are below 10 million, right? Our net income percentage is, depending on the month, 20 to 25%. Wow, that's fantastic. So there, there are very few companies that do that. Yeah. At that at that revenue level. And most of them are like tech companies or something like that. Not not industrial manufacturing. Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't want to get off on asking marketing questions because that's what we do on the side, but um, when you were probably one last question on this. I know we're we're we've got kind of a time frame here we have to deal with. Um, so while you weren't prioritizing verticals were you steering and prioritizing were the sales folks because if you've got 10 verticals and three salespeople or four salespeople whatever you had obviously you don't want to stretch them too thin either um the probably the best and most important thing i did was when i took over i was looking for a vp of sales to replace one of the retiring former owners i hired a really good guy and I cut a deal with him and said, if he performed and the company's performed, he was going to do really well. And he is. And every time I think about what he's making, it's like, and that's part of, part of the problem with business owners. They don't set up their commission structures properly. And they always want to renege because they don't think far enough into the future. And then they don't feel like signing the check. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a common problem and it's disastrous. Um, I'm always happy to sign this check. 
Like you're signing that check, that means there's some great revenue being generated and profits. And, and he, he was the guy. He and I, he and I were the sales team. We had a part sales guy, but he and I were the guy, right? So we're wearing all the hats, making this company survive. Um, and but now that's part of as I was hiring back, I, I hired engineers that also had a sales hat. So now we have a more robust sales team now that we're growing. And most of that happened in this year, kind of to put a bow on the story, um, in September of 2020, I started looking for a new country. Companies in recovery mode, um, I'm going, I'm now on the board and uh, we wanted a guy that was going to be able to oversee the company. And then I'm off doing the other things that I do. And um, so in February of 2021, we hired a new president. We went through a transition period and he's uh, my, my transition period ended at June 30th of this year and he's running the company and I'm on the board. So um, it's a great case study. I, I love that. And, 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 you know, obviously I've heard it in group settings and this is great to hear it in an intimate setting because we can kind of discuss it versus you just giving a lecture over the uh, Zoom with, you know, 75 people on the screen. <laughs> um, so I, I know we're coming down to an end here. So kind of my last question is, what inspires you? What, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Our, our mutual IP attorney friend, he's working on a new trademark for me. Um, Fix, fix companies, create value, save jobs. There's lots of companies like the one we were just talking about that wouldn't exist today if I hadn't done what I've done. Okay. Actually, I did. The manufacturing manager, when I told him that I was, we were going to be looking for one of the manufacturing guys, um, when I told him um, that I, we were going to be hiring a new president and I'd be moving on, he says, well, you probably saved my wife's life because if you hadn't saved this company, I wouldn't have had insurance and my wife probably would not have survived her cancer. Another gentleman who runs a fiberglass uh, job shop now, when I met him, he was the shop supervisor. Long time ago now, probably started working with him eight, eight nine years ago. I still talk to him from time to time. And when I talk to him, he says to me, we still talk about what you did for our family at the dinner table. He's now a part owner of that company. That's great. I definitely could understand, you know, and I think we talked about at the very beginning, ha having an impact on not only on the business, but people's lives and, and, and understanding that it isn't just a job, really. It, it, it is a way of life and the, and the lives that it impact. I, when I um, owned my agency and, you know, I had I don't know, 21, 22, whatever it was, people, in my my concern and kept me up at night it was them how do i make sure that i you know our business is performing well because if it doesn't it's not it, it'll impact me but more importantly it impacts all these other people because they weren't the owners they weren't sitting at the top and 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 i talk about a lot of that with my clients as we get into it. you know how many people let's make sure that we understand that the decisions we make isn't just going to impact you at the top it's going to impact all these others of hundreds of people that actually have no control in these decisions. So it's really important that we kind of dig into those. And it is about knowledge. It's about having an understanding and those insights as we've been talking 
to make those important decisions. Any, this has been great. Uh, I, I, I love the conversation. Thank you so much for your your time today. So Thank let's. Uh, yeah, I let's. Really, I really appreciate the opportunity to share what we've talked about, and I hope that um, whoever hears this gets some value from it and gets an inspiration that will change their company and the lives of the people that work in that company. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to do this. Why don't you go and tell the listeners how they can reach you, LinkedIn, website, sure. wherever you can tell them. Sure. Um, Andy at A-A-K-E-N-I-N-C.com. And that's the website also, akeninc.com. Um, and my phone number, you know, you're welcome to call me. My phone number is 949 400 2132. Anytime. I look forward to speaking. Whoever would like to have an idea and or bounce something off me. I, uh, Angelo, you know, I think we've talked about this before. It's like when people come across my path, I figure there's something that the universe is expecting me to do for them to help them either directly or to get them going in the right direction so that their needs can be met. So happy to do that for anybody that's listening. All right. Well, thank you so much for that. I'll, I'm going to put all that information in the show notes as well. And I encourage you listeners to to reach out if you have a question about your business, how potentially Andy can help you, or frankly, just any business question you heard the offer. And so I do encourage you. This is a very knowledgeable uh, gentleman here. We have a lot of different roles and certainly can offer some insights. And so I encourage you to do that. Thank you, Angelo. I really appreciate it. Andy, thank you again for taking the time to come on the show today. Very educational. I know my listeners are going to learn a lot uh, from this conversation, and I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. And as I said, uh, listeners, Andy gave you his contact information. If you want to learn more, I'll make sure it's in the show notes. So please check it out. Please check check him out. Connect with him on LinkedIn. Uh, he made a great offer to you to have a consult. So please take him up on that. And again, I want to thank you again for joining us at the cafe today. Now. Another commercial from me, if your business is not growing as planned because of market conditions, competition, your message is not resonating, or for any other reason your business has stalled or been impacted, you're thinking about exiting, whatever it happens to be, check out my website, give me a call, let's have a conversation, discover what it's like to work with a fractional interim or frankly a consulting marketing services company like mine. You can visit theponzigroup.com. A lot of variety of resources there that you can download for free and certainly connect with me on LinkedIn. And lastly, if you're a subscriber to the show, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. If you are new to the show or you're listening all the time but not subscribing, I encourage you to do so. Add us to your favorites in your podcast platform you like to listen to to make sure you do not miss any of the episodes that we have coming up. And if you're inclined, you can backtrack to listen to one of a 150 shows that I have already published. A lot of great content over the years. And I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to join me here at the Business Growth Cafe. So don't forget, put it on your calendar next Thursday. Join me here at the Business Growth Cafe. Thank you for listening to today's discussion at the Business Growth Cafe with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and visit our website at www.businessgrowthcafe.com. 
Read Angelo Ponzi's blogs at www.theponzigroup.com.